Are your school days out of sight? When you took English, art, and math, what's your favorite Fahrenheit? How sour are the grapes of wrath? Do you need a challenger or disgusting Salinger? Do you love the written word? What happened to the mockingbird? Our show is just beginning, so find a place to sit. These questions will be on the test. It's time for sophomore lit. Welcome back to Sophomore Lit, where we reread your 10th grade reading list. I'm John McCoy, and with me is returning co-host Jason Snell. Hi, John. It's good to be here um, reading a book that I read in my sophomore year in college. So yeah, I, I, I feel like close. this one is actually right back into that, that sweet spot of uh, world literature you were probably assigned sometime, mm -hmm. either in high school or college. Uh, it's nice and short, and they love assigning short things, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, they are, and it's also open to interpretation. And uh, I guess that's another thing that teachers mm. like to do is kick it to the students and say, well, what is this all, all about? Yes. So, <laughs> so do you want to, I mean, everyone knows who you are, who listens to The Incomparable, but why don't you introduce yourself anyway? Sure. I, I, I uh, run The Incomparable Network uh, and host The Incomparable Mothership podcast, um, and I write about technology and Apple and stuff mostly at uh, sixcolors.com. That's my other, that's most more of my paying job and, and podcast about it at Six Colors and at uh, Relay FM with a podcast called Upgrade. So a lot of computer stuff. And then The Incomparable is the other thing that I do. Um, and uh, also read about uh, German vermin. Hey, that rhymed. <laughs> right. So this time we are doing Franz Kafka's uh, 1915 novella, The Metamorphosis. Um, with this, I have to give a shout out to my, uh, my sister-in-law, Audrey. She suggested this. And I was like, well, of course. Why? Why didn't I think of this? You know, I, mm. I've been I've been running out of uh, these kinds of things that that were actually taught in high school, and this was a like a big slap in the face when she said it. I was like, oh yeah, that's the obvious one. So I, I, uh, I know I couldn't believe I, so many times I have ideas for for this podcast, and I, and you've covered so much of the canon, <laughs> and I, I I also kind of gave myself a slap upside the head when I realized that uh, oh, I didn't even think of metamorphosis, and I definitely read this in college. I went to UC San Diego, where and we had a uh, Ravel College at UC San Diego, we had a very intense general ed uh, requirement education. I think they, they always like to say that only the University of Chicago had a more proscribed course load for the students than Ravel College at UCSD did. And we had a, a, a five quarter or no, six quarter humanities sequence that was basically uh, cross departmental um so it was philosophy and history and literature and social science. And th th there, were, there were a whole lot of different professors who taught. And some of them had a more I had a, an English professor who, who who, you know, acted out Shakespeare and stuff. But I very much remember the the philosophy professor who was super into the fact that we read the metamorphosis. <laughs> so. He took he took his philosophical bent, and I, I was thinking about that as I read it because it is, as you said at the top, uh, 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 it's short. Uh, it is uh, all about the interpretation and what does it all mean, and uh, and and that is fodder for podcasts and or essays. So uh, this is uh, fr obviously Franz Kafka, Franz Kafka's most famous work. Um, Kafka was a bohemian jew living in austria-hungary just when 
uh, Austria-Hungary collapsed uh, after World War One, and he suddenly found himself in Czechoslovakia, which uh, emerged from that part of uh, uh, Austria-Hungary. And among other things that happened, suddenly the official language was Czech. Up to that time, huh. uh, he was he was speaking the official language, and he worked at like this. Um, insurance agency that was like run by the government it's sort of like a workman's comp uh branch of the government like if you had an accident on the job you would apply there and this was established by uh the the austro-hungarian empire and he so uh kafka i all i bring this up only because one of the things that people associate with kafka is this idea of alienation and kafka lived a life of, of <laughs> a certain amount of alienation. He was um, an intellectual Jew in Austria, well, not in Austria, in Austria-Hungary, at a time when uh, it wasn't very safe to be Jewish, you know, in, 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 in that region. And he also spoke German and uh, at a time when it became less safe to do so, too. Uh, nonetheless, he had he 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 ran in a lot of literary circles, and he was fairly uh, famous in his day. Um, so that's my little crash course about Kafka. Yeah. It would make sense, right, to to think that in terms of um, alienation, or uh, you know, famously, this story is about a a, a guy named a, a traveling salesman uh, named Gregor Samsa who wakes up one morning and he's a uh, he's a bug basically he's a giant bug um and not a person anymore and uh, how alienating that is the idea that this is written by a man whose country kind of went away underneath him and he ended up in a different country i think that there's there's some interesting parallels there um i i also i want to throw out my just while we're talking about this fundamental premise that one of my favorite moments in one of my favorite comedies of all time is when they're looking through the slush pile in the producers to find an unproducible script um, so that they can lose money and make a profit. And that's the whole plot of the producers there. Spoilers for the producers. Um, uh, they read... Uh, I think Zero Mostel reads, One morning, Gregor Samsa woke up to find he was a giant cockroach. And he goes, No... <laughs> this might be good, and he tosses it away. <laughs> too good, too good for a stage production of the Metamorphosis. We can't do it, um, but it is so short. It is surprising. What I remember, and I think maybe a lot of people remember, is just the premise. And to give Franz Kafka a lot of credit, um, I I appreciate a as a fan of science fiction and fantasy and stuff like that. I really appreciate a story that that commits to its premise. And like the only fantastical thing that happens in the entire story is that Gregor Samsa turns into a bug. After that, that's it. Like after that, it's just what would happen. And the rest of the story goes from there. I was very impressed that he was so, so committed to the premise. It's like, look, this is all that this is about is he turns into a bug. What do people do? That's it. You know, I, I kind of vaguely remembered it from, you know, I read this in high school. I don't think I was ever assigned this, but I, I read it several times when I was young. Um, and I vaguely remembered it being sort of a, the, the, the humor. In it. I mean, it is a very funny story as well as being a horrific story. I remember the humor being sort of Monty Python-esque in that they, that while Gregor turns into a bug, he is still clutching at 
the, his the idea that he could possibly get up and go to work that sh- that certainly things will turn around eventually and he'll just get back on on the treadmill right. and he t- talks to his you know his his boss about it but what i forgot was that's just gregor doing that everyone else in the story <laughs> reacts as you might expect someone to react when their 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 son uh, or brother or employee disappears and in his place is an enormous uh bug yeah it's it's horrific right there is there is i mean there is a little bit of humor in his denial right where they're like because the door is closed and locked at the beginning and they're asking like gregor what's going on and he's like i'm fine i'm gonna get up in a minute right like he's trying to shout at them (laughs) and he's increasingly not able to be understood right because he's becoming even more and more kind of an animal as the as the morning goes along and as the story goes along but it is funny that he's just trying i think it's human nature i think it's actually well observed um that he's just trying to say that everything is everything is everything is normal and everything is fine um and denying the fact that his life is has has changed forever and i i i don't i admit to not knowing about what the most common interpretations of this story are. But one of the thought I had, I had several as I was reading it. And one of the thoughts I had was, uh, and maybe this is a very 21st century interpretation, but I was thinking about disability and, and, um, and illness and disability and other issues like that. Because if you view it through that lens a little bit, right, something happens to Gregor and it, it, it prevents him from basically, functioning in society he can't he he can barely get around he can't leave the house and he has to be taken care of by his family and he initially is kind of in denial about it it's like it's like having a catastrophic accident of some sort he's like no 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 it'll be fine it'll be fine and he he eventually sort of um accepts his part and then his family has to take care of him and uh, brutally basically decides uh well we're done with this and he's got to go. And and I was thinking about that because that, that is I know that people talk about his sister who is um, who sort of essentially gives up at some point and turns on him and says, you know, we got to get rid of him. Um, but I, I was I was thinking about in that context uh, that it, that in, you could read it that way, that he, he has a, a, a thing happen to him that essentially removes him from society. It, it, it could be viewed as being like an illness or something like that. And his he has to rely on the kindness of his family to take care of him, and they don't. <laughs> ultimately, I read this in the recent translation by Susan Bernofsky, which I think is a very good translation, and that has the advantage of having an introduction by David Cronenberg. And um, you wow. might think you might think <laughs> that the obvious thing that Cronenberg would do is to talk on and on about body horror. And he does a, sure. he does eventually get around to comparing the metamorphosis to his movie The Fly, but he opens with something very close to what you said, which is he compares uh, Gregor's metamorphosis to his waking up one more David Poningberg's waking up one morning to realize that he was seventy years old, and uh-huh. this idea that something fundamental has changed about yourself and from uh, an experiential point of view, from being inside the the head of the person that's happening to, it doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem true in somehow, but it is real and it is true and you're forever changed. Um, so, so yeah, that, that, that interpretation 
reminds me a bit of the interpretation uh, you just gave, um, which I think that I think it is the, the book is, after all, called the metamorphosis. So it is about that uh, the the event of change in some way, I think. Right. And and I, I think also how. Right. And it's it's the inside and the outside. Right. So the, so the first part of the book, I feel like or the it's a novella. It's barely a novella. It's very short is so much about Gregor trying to adapt or deny what he is like. Really, he finds out like the first line of the story is that he's he's turned into a bug and he then <laughs> spends a long time trying to just get up out of bed and figuring can i catch the train and like in complete denial of the fact that he's a bug which you know if you turned into a bug you'd probably be like I i'm probably dreaming or if i just keep going about my day it'll all work itself out and then you finally realize that it's not going to work itself out and then the rest of the story is about how society his family and his employer and then sort of the larger world are are impacted by the change in him and and so i got uh i thought it was interesting he's so worried about his job and uh his his boss comes to see him and i think that the the it's his boss is terrible and his job is terrible and he's providing for his family so he's sort of desperately the provider for his family and um and so this is this is it's it's there's an economic disaster that happens as a part of this too that's kind of interesting that it's the there's no you know they can't go on without him taking care of them i mean they his parents his old older parents are going back to work and his sister's going to have to work and they're going to have to try to find a make made a way to make it work and how unfeeling the kind of the world is about this plight that they're in that that's another um popular uh, interpretation of this, and I think I think it's a, an interpretation that I, I think is popular amongst young readers because it's something they can latch onto. Is oh, this is the the problems of late capitalism or whatever. In that it's about someone who's been driven down by his job and turning into a giant bug is just making physically manifest the humiliation he's already undergone. And, and I think that's an interest that, that, that that's certainly one way you can think of it. But one of the things that I th think Kafka does is he can, he complicates that because as you say, the family becomes disgusted with Gregor. Uh, the, uh, the, the sister does her best to attend to his needs, to feed him, to, believe that this is her, actually her brother you know the the parents don't seem convinced that this is actually gregor um and, but eventually she she gives up too so there is this um the the, the family turn the family turns on 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 gregor and um and and interestingly towards the end of the book gregor overhears that they aren't actually as financially poorly off as he had been led to believe at least in the the way that he was working his fingers to the bone and basically you know going on these sales trips all around the country all the you know day in day out yeah there's a little money that was put aside also it comes not right away but as it goes on you get the sense too that his father and and mother don't work anymore in part maybe by choice maybe that they didn't have to because gregor was out there 
working for them. Like there's this, imp- I, I get the impression that like, cause it's like, Oh, my parents, they're old and they can't work. And then they're like, well, we can. And, and it's like, well, <laughs> but they weren't right. Like did Gregor uh, say, no, no, you can quit your jobs. You can retire. I've got it or, or what? So it does seem like, yeah, the economic uh, affairs are not as, as maybe he assumes that they are. And we assume that they are right at the beginning. Well, there's the um, psychological or the psychosexual interpretations, the Freudian interpretations. Freud uh, had published most of his major works just before this point um, over in Austria. So, so literally in the same country as Kafka before World War uh, One, uh, and there psychoanalysis was starting to t- take off. A lot of people like to interpret the way uh, Gregor interacts with his father with the way that Kafka interacted with his father and the way that he felt uh, humiliated or beaten down by his father. Uh, and, and that's another way that people like to, 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 to maybe interpret it either biographically or as some sort of, um, you know, it, it's not necessarily that his job is, 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 bring him down but the job is sort of secondary to the fact that his family has decided that he's the sacrificial lamb that's going to go out and and do all the job the work for them so that they can live in you know not 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 opulence but at least uh in idleness um but but again i i i'll i'll you know i'm I'm gonna spoiler alert i'm going to just jump ahead to some of the things that i think about that which is the, the story goes that when kafka ha- had originally thought of this you know, he, he thought of this story while he was in bed, sick in bed, trying to work on another novel. And he wrote it out and took him a while. It took him longer to write than he, he wanted to. But then he started reading it to friends. And there's actually like um, someone's journal at the time that talks about this insect story that Kafka read to, to them. And <laughs> apparently... Kafka was laughing hysterically as he read this to his friends. He thought it was absolutely just a scream. And, um, and I, I don't know. I get this feeling, you know, I, I, Vladimir Nabokov, uh, wrote about this and he said that he doesn't think that any allegorical or symbolic reading of this is ultimately correct because he thinks Kafka is just writing uh, a story that you're supposed to take on face value. These things are actually happening to Gregor and his family, and this is and and, and they might suggest ideas to you, but they don't stand in for those ideas. That and and that goes back to what I said at the beginning about how I admire how the story commits to its premise. Is uh-huh. it it is a fairly straightforward what would happen if this happened right <laughs> which is which is that it wouldn't go well and 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 they'd be the whole family would be like what are we going to do with the the big bug in the other room and gregor being gone like there's not on one everybody is literature everybody's going to find a level that they want to interpret but on that base level i i really admire that it is a writer saying with this fundamental premise that's odd what would what would happen next in so you take an unreal thing and you place it at the beginning and then you say now let's follow all the rules of reality <laughs> after this unreal <laughs> thing has happened and wind it up and watch it go and that, that it, there is an aspect of that for sure and i th- i also think it's um 
it has a fascinating ending to me because it doesn't end with Gregor's death. What what basically happens is Gregor is so crestfallen when his sister finally gives up on him. You know, Gregor has 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 broken the rules, gone out of his room. The 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 people that they're trying to let out uh, rooms to catch sight of him and they're incensed and they say this <laughs> place has a problem with vermin. We're getting out of here. Yeah. And we're not going to even pay you for the days that we've been here. <laughs> and and finally, uh, Gregor's uh, sister, you know, throws up her arms and says, "We have to get rid of it." He and Gregor goes back into his room, crestfallen. He has not been eating much, and he's also right. been slowly <laughs> becoming more and more damaged throughout this story. First by being uh, having a door slammed on him, then by having a apple thrown at him. Um, by his father, which lodges in between the little cracks in his chitin or something, which is terrible. So Gregor basically decides, yeah, they're right. I, I have to stop living. And he he does. He just dies that night. Mm -hmm. And the next morning, the charwoman finds him. But that's not where the story ends. The story ends with like the family <laughs> like, oh, thank God, it's all over. Now we can plan our lives. And they, they say, well, well, what are we going to do about Gregor? And the charwoman says, don't worry, I took care of that. I and took care like, of it. What do you mean you took care of that? But um, but the family goes off on, vac on like a, a day trip out. And the, the father and mother like look at the daughter who's so happy. And they say, hey, she's looking pretty fine. It's time for us to get her married. And the the focus completely goes to Gregor's uh, sister at the end. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's really interesting. I again go back to the interpretation of what the, you know, that these are people who are not, um, you know, they're 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 they are feeling. Let's put it this way: they're feeling this burden. They have felt this burden of their uh, their son having transformed and having to take care of him and not being happy about it. And I, I think that that's that that's my my interpretation about a, a chronic illness or a, somebody who's had a, had a disability um, and having people who you have to rely on. And do they take care of you or are they being kind of awful? And here the, the little coda is well, and then he died and their lives got a lot better after he was gone. It's like, Oh, that's, <laughs> and I can, I like, and yeah, on one level, if wind it up and watch it go, it's like, well, yeah, it was terrible. Their son turned into a bug who was trapped in a room for all that time. And then when he died, um, they were finally relieved of the burden. It's, it's, it, it is a, I mean, there's there's some truth in that right like if you've got somebody that you're taking care of even if you love them very much um when they they pass away or they have they go to a facility or something like that there is a burden that comes off of them now here they're really like <laughs> our son died uh let's go for a day in the countryside so it's kind of like mm, they're not very sympathetic uh at all yeah there, there's no there's no mourning that goes on here no a lot of interpretations do focus on comparing uh gregor to his sister uh, greta you know they they, they both they, their names are very similar and mm -hmm. they and you can see that gregor uh disappoints his parents he he does not fulfill the role that he's supposed to for the parents and at the very end when the father looks at greta and says Oh, she's gotten really womanly, and she's got a, a really nice figure. She's very, she, it's, it, she's ripe for marriage. There's that sense of now 
it's you know the the daughter is going to have to step up and fulfill provide yeah well will fulfill the, <laughs> the the role that is expected of her and that mm. that role is you know you're expected now to be a wife you know and to and i guess the the hope is that you know, that will you know to, again alleviate some uh financial pressure on, on the family although i don't know if they would be expected to provide a dowry in that t time or not um yeah yeah, I don't, I don't know that either. But it is, I, it is creepy, you know. Mm. I actually, I, I read this whole thing through, and I don't, I didn't get creeped out by Gregory turning into a bug, but I got super creeped out by the father saying, "Hey, my my daughter's really voluptuous." Yeah, it's like, oh, well, an asset that I wasn't aware that we had. Hmm, <laughs> how do I take care of this? Um, yeah, they're not. I mean, the family is not. When when I say. This is goes to the sort of like David Cronenberg and body horror kind of aspect of it. When I when I say that it reminds me of somebody who is who cannot help cannot take care of themselves and is in a position where they are relying on others, it is the horror kind of that ultimately, right? It's like the parents don't care. Basically, the mother screams, the father throws apples at him, the sister seems to understand him, but ultimately decides that this isn't going anywhere and it's not worth it and they need to get rid of him. So it is the it is the body horror um, slash just pure horror of having a thing happen to you that you can't control and you can't stop and you have to rely on other people and the people that you rely on are terrible and don't want to take care of you. And that that is horrific. And And so what happens to Gregor is he turns into a bug, but if he had, you know, broken his neck and been paralyzed and bedridden, uh, the same would apply. It would just be even more brutal because he wouldn't be a bug scream, making people scream. He would just be a human being. But the, the, the point kind of stands, I guess that would be another thing to question is does, if I was writing my essay for my, uh, for my humanities class would be, <laughs> is their behavior more acceptable because he's not human? The other thing that it is, is it's the horror of, you know, if, if you're a person like me who suffers a lot from social anxiety and who, you know, I, I have a very hard time sometimes reading people's intentions. Uh, there, there is that, that anxiety that a lot of people have that, oh, people around me don't really like me. They're just putting up with me. This is actually a confirmation of all that, that, that once Gregor fails to provide, the family just can't wait to get rid of him, you know, and there's, there's nothing, um, redeeming in their eyes uh, about about Gregor um but there is something else that that I thought was really interesting which was um there's a point early on where uh Gregor is trying to still be human in in that he's trying to actually stand up as a bug and there's this line that uh, goes he fell with a faint shriek upon his many legs no sooner had this occurred than he felt for the first time all morning a sense of physical well-being his legs had solid ground beneath them they obeyed his will perfectly as he noted to his delight and he he discovers a delight in scurrying and he discovers you know this delight in hiding under uh the sofa and climbing up the wall too, right? right? And climbing up the walls to the extent that he is able to let himself go with being a bug, he's actually happier. And this is an interesting thing to me because it this throws a lot of other interpretations out, out of whack because it's sort of it it it, it seems to posit that maybe Gregor's um, 
redemption will come by just embracing the bugness in him. Mm. And that, yeah, I mean, you could argue that the, this, I mean, if you want to talk about allegories here, is it is it that Gregor has been, spe- he has spent too much time being something he's not? Um, and that this is his freedom? Because, yeah, I noticed that too. It's, there was that wonderful moment where basically it, it, it the book basically says um, Gregor tried to do this thing and the bug legs did their thing and he felt he he realized like that he he knew how to be a bug that 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 it actually worked and it it's all in that right that section that you read he kind of is fine when he's being a bug and not fine when he's trying to be a person so and 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 he does it doesn't it's not quite flowers for algernon kind of level of <laughs> he becomes more bug-like as it goes on it happens a little bit but it's not emphasized but it is clear that he's good at doing bug things and bad at doing people things and i wondered you know the it is really bleak at the end as you said he he um he hasn't been eating and his sister says we got to get rid of it and he basically goes back to the room and and dies. Um, I had a thought at one point, which is there's another way to tell this story, which is he realizes that he can't be a person anymore and he leaves, right? He goes out the window, he goes to live as a bug. And, and that, that, that in that story, it's about him kind of realizing that he needs to be who he is now and not run away. Um, he, Gregor Samsa is not given that opportunity. Instead, he, he, he just lets go in his bedroom and dies. Um, but I, I did have that thought that, that like life, life might've been better for bug Gregor if he embraced his, who he was, the reality of who he was instead of kind of resisting it. I, I thought we might want to talk about uh, this uh, book in in popular media because it, it gets it gets uh, reinterpreted a lot. Um, yeah, do you have any favorite uh, examples of this for, or, or or references? You you brought up the the, the producers. Yeah, the producers is my favorite metamorphosis uh, reference just because it it is uh, you know in a, in the search for things that are. Um, that are, that are terrible. They they think of something as ridiculous as the opening to the Metamorphosis and think, actually, that kind of sounds good. And and uh, and then they move along. Um, so that was the one that I I brought to the table. What are you thinking of? Well, there's a there was a an episode of Home Movies where they did a rock opera based on the Metamorphosis, mm. and you know that that uh, Home Movies had music by Brendan Small, and he's a, a great guitarist, and it was it was fun to you know to, it's fun to hear. Those. I actually have a CD of all the music from home movies, so sometimes I, I listen to that. But I also recall, I don't know if you remember this, back in the late 90s when CD-ROM games were all the rage, there was there was one called Bad Mojo that was an, a point-and-click oh, yeah. adventure game where, you, where the main character gets turned into uh, a cockroach. And yeah, it, and and has to navigate this strange world of like um, rundown apartments where there are rats everywhere and spiders and and it's it's everything's filthy and gross and it's like a it's that uh, '90s let's see how how badly we can gross you out uh, sort of thing. Um, I, I remember kind of enjoying that uh, game, but it, it did have a very pat ending where. At the end, the hero when the hero uh, 
gets turned back into a human. It's all seen as some sort of a redemptive uh, phase he had to go through because, you know, he had he had failed as a human being in some way and now he has to succeed as a bug and he he regains his humanity or whatever and i always thought uh eh, that's that's you know the, the, I, I don't like that andy i uh <laughs> i found a a uh a web post from macworld about the cd-rom oh, yeah. where i used to work <laughs> oh, yeah. about that about that cd-rom um because i do remember that we covered it i and and that was the oh yes the cd-rom era it's uh it's funny. I also think that there are a lot of uh tangential metamorphosis um you know I I feel like it's so deep in the culture now that it pops up in all sorts of places just as a whether it's a a you know you turn into something else or there are a lot of you know the, the kind of body swap stories where you're putting on somebody else's freaky fridays and things like that which are not quite the same but it's that same kind of um i'm not uh the fly actually you know great for Dave, david cronenberg that idea that you become something monstrous anything with a anything where somebody is transformed into a monster um is is treading some of this same ground right it is such a a kind of a a, a root thing in in culture to sort of find yourself as a as something that you're not something monster or that you don't believe yourself to be right to david cronenberg's point that you mentioned earlier um it's yeah it's it's really interesting what what i had forgotten because i again i remember the premise but nothing else is that it, it it does just keep going down that path of saying how would how would people react to this and the answer is that it would be terrible <laughs> you know, I'm looking right now at the the. There's a whole Wikipedia page yeah. about things, in the, but the the one thing that's catching my eye is this fact that the Metamorphosis was reprinted in a pulp magazine in 1953, famous Fantastic Mysteries. So if you can picture your your oh, classic Hugo Gernsback era pulp with a bare-chested heroine on the cover, and <laughs> I just cannot imagine what they thought. Oh that my might god, be a it also great, has Ayn Rand in it too. It might be a great translation, right? Like uh play up the the horror aspects right. in your translation okay. of it. I do I had I'd forgotten, but now seeing it on this page, I will say I remember that Northern Exposure episode where they basically go back to the founding of the town in the early nineteen hundreds and and uh and Rob Morrow, who is the star of the show, is playing Franz Kafka. <laughs> and he comes to town to try and cure his writer's block and comes up with the idea for the metamorphosis while he's in the town. So, so that's, uh, that I do, re I do remember that. Cause that was one of those flights of fancy for that show where they're like, yeah, we're going to just do an episode set, um, you know, almost a hundred years in the past where our, our actors are playing different characters who were here back in 1909. You know, I remember absolutely adoring Northern Exposure when it was on and then many, many years later when there was the craze for repackaging old TV shows onto DVD, I thought, hey, I'll go back and watch this thing. And I, and I found it just very hard to watch. I found oh, it very, too bad. very slow. I, I, I have mean, the, the first season on DVD, but I haven't gone back and watched it. And I've been a little afraid to. I mean, I think a lot of it comes to the fact that it's back in that era where a season was 21 episodes, yeah. whether it needed 21 episodes or not. Yeah, and uh, well, I think the, that... the the Kafka episode is season three, episode twenty three for oh my probably God. the season finale. But yeah, that's too many episodes. I think. 
Uh, <laughs> I, one other thing that I, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, everyone, everyone like makes a big deal out of this. The, the opening line of, uh, of, of metamorphosis is, is famous because the words that are, are used for, for his, um, for, for what he turns into, let me look it up here. So I have it right here. Are, um, Ungeheres Ungezeifer, which are two, two negatives, two unwords, because German is, you know, very close to English. And they're the same thing. It's like basically meaning an, an un, unhappy or unlovely, unclean thing. Um, so, and, and it's, Kafka chose this not just for its, um, its uh, assonance and its its kind of cleverness uh, uh, play on words, but because he wanted to not make it clear what actually had happened to Gregor, uh, we we say he turned into a bug. Most times, people think he turned into a cockroach. It's not really clear what he's supposed to be. We're, from time to time, he's to, they they make reference to a shell he has or uh, legs he have. And and Kafka apparently told the the, the guy the the publishers not to put a, a a picture of a bug on the cover because he did not want anyone to picture that. And I find that funny because when I was uh, in 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 writing classes, I was always told be as specific as you can. You want to be absolutely specific and and make it clear in your reader's uh, mind what you're doing. Kafka is not doing that. And, uh, you know, I, I admire him for that. Yeah, he is. I, I read somewhere that the the translation, we generally get vermin as the word there, but that it was really meant to be just a, a monstrous creature. And it, it doesn't it doesn't have implications beyond that. There might be, I, I think, an inse insects, I think they said were often referred to this way, but like he doesn't want... Which is funny because like the producer's line and I think that in pop culture, it's like he turned into a cockroach, but it's not like the story doesn't want to get that detailed about it. You're right there. We get the little little bits of it. I would say going back to horror movies again, the kind of beauty of it is you don't see the whole shark, right? The you don't. He doesn't spend paragraphs luxuriously detailing everything about what Gregor Samsa has been transformed into, right? We get the we get some details as it goes, but he doesn't say this is a cockroach or a dung beetle or whatever it is. Like he just doesn't doesn't say, and and that's that's okay. In fact, it seems that much more surreal in that way, right? He has a bad dream. He wakes up, and he in in his bed he has been transformed into a horrible vermin, and that's all we get. We'll we'll leave uh, maybe on that down note, unless you have anything else you want to say. <laughs> no, just to have better family members to take care of you if you turn into a bug. <laughs> Thanks again to my co-host Jason Snell. You can hear him all over the Incomparable Network. Sophomore Lit is brought to you by the Incomparable Network. Find more funny, smart podcasts online at theincomparable.com. And while you're there, check out the ways you can support this and other incomparable podcasts. You can write the show at sophomore.literature at gmail.com, or you can message me on Facebook or the Incomparable Membership Slack. Summer's here and school's out, but keep up with your reading list, because come September, everything will be on the final. Mm -hmm.